right, we're going to get right after it. We got a ton of material to cover tonight. We'll see how many of these gates we want to try to get through tonight. But let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 3. We left off last week halfway between the Dungate um, study and the bottom half, the hind parts. The um, Dungate was identified as, um, do you guys remember? The Dungate is sin. And so we were we were um, topically kind of we're kind of actually what it turns out to be are these ten gates that um, we're identifying as a part of our Christian living and then kind of topically walking through each of the subjects in the um, in the study and we we got halfway through the Dungate which is sin so just to bring you up to speed um, this particular study it kind of lends itself to some note taking so if you are a note taker I encourage that for tonight and. So the first gate um, that we come to, Brian, can we have the gates up, please? Um, we started as you, you go through Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, we remember that Nehemiah was called back in these multiple waves of Aliyah on her way back to Israel after 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Now, this is much later because many of the Jews stayed in Israel. Um, but Nehemiah was, was moved by the Holy Spirit, and he said, as the good hand of the Lord is upon me, and this guy who was a cupbearer, who was in the king's court, who goes back to Jerusalem, travels the long distance from Babylon to Jerusalem, and in 52 days completes this work that God called him to. Phenomenal in the fact that he wasn't a builder or a contractor, but he, he had the Spirit of God, and as he puts it, the good hand of the Lord was upon him, and he rallied the people, and together the people rebuilt. They start here in the top at the Sheep Gate, and they work their way counterclockwise um, as the Bible records this, in Nehemiah chapter 3 through this gate. So first we have the sheep gate, and we said that was Jesus. And it always starts with Jesus, and we, we come back and we bring it to everything in our lives is Jesus. And then the fish gate, the fish gate was evangelism, and the need for us as, as Christ followers to um, be, on, be on mission and do evangelism. Then we come to the old gate, and the old gate was um, truth and, and the importance of truth in our lives and that there is an absolute truth, that the word of God is true and, and that we cling to truth. And then it brings us to the valley gate and the valley gate um, we identified as the trials of Christian living. And, and I think it's important that we, we recognize that as, as Christ followers, um, our lives kind of designed around seasons and many things that um, we see, you know, in, in the flesh, they're spiritual truths too. And so as as even in our world, we, we go through four seasons of, of, of weather and of things. Our lives can go through four seasons. And we have um, seasons of, of being on in the valley and, and going through trials. We have seasons of being on the mountaintop. And, you know, as long as we don't expect in Christian living that uh, we're going to stay on the mountaintop at all the times or that we're going to stay in the valley either in trials all the time. And sometimes, you know, I think I think our tendency is when we go through certain trials is, is we we stay stuck in the valley and we kind of almost do it to ourselves, but we go through these seasons and, and, and a part of the season um, in Christian living is trials. You know, unfortunately, there's a, uh, um, some, some teachers out there, as, as Timothy pre um, predicted in the last days, that they would heap up for themselves teachers that would tickle their itching ears. They're just telling people what they want to hear. And unfortunately, what they want to hear is that, you know, Christianity is, is, is just Disneyland. It's happy, healthy, wealthy. And um, unfortunately, that's just not it. And then we come to where we are now, the Dung Gate. So this is the um, on the south end of the um, old city. That's the old city of David there. I mean, sorry, the, yeah, the old city of Jerusalem. Um, the walls, the city of David would actually be down here on the south end, kind of near the Dung Gate. Um, so we, we finished about half of it. And where I want to pick, pick up today um, is in Nehemiah. Chapter 14, Melchi, the son of Rechab, leader of the district of Beth Hakram, repaired the refuge gate, and he built it, and he hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Now, um, here's, here's just a skinny of, of the, the, the sin topic in the context of what we're studying tonight. Sin in your life must be dealt with. You know, and as Christ followers, we, um, you know, we, we have to deal with sin. And again, that's another thing where the, the teachers are heaping up for themselves um, teachers to tickle their itching ears because they don't want to hear about their sin, you know. And, and the largest churches in America are are churches where you know you come month after month, week after week, year after year, and never once do they deal with sin or, or address sin or or encourage people to get their sin right. And 
Um, they won't address any controversial topics. And, um, you know, and I, I think, you know, one of the things I, I think is that I, that I enjoy about the Calvary Chapel style and particularly where I am is that, you know, I don't have to come and address an issue. And if I know something's going on in somebody's life and then I show up that Sunday and I start preaching on that issue that, you know, we don't need to do that, that the Bible is going to cover every topic of life. And so as you walk through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, when you get to it, you teach it and you teach it in its historical context and you teach what the word of God says about it. And, you know, you never have to worry about me aiming my sermon at you. You know, first of all, you just ain't that important. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, I don't do that. And, and if you feel that, that's always a good thing because that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And, and eventually, you know, we're going to touch on everything. We're going to step on everybody's toes. We're going to deal with these issues when they come up and, and hard issues. I mean, the Bible has tough issues that in our culture are difficult to deal with. You know, Romans chapter one is very clear that that um, homosexuality is sin. When we come to it, we're going to deal with it. I'm not going to get up here every week and preach it and this and that. But when I come to it, I'm going to deal with it. When it comes to, you know, the different issues of, of Christian living, we're going to we're going to deal with those things as we come to them. Um, but here's what happens sometimes is that we um, we get lax in our sin. And, and as we sin, it's hard the first time, you know, and then the and then it gets easier as we go. And the Bible says that every time King David teaches us in the Psalms that every time that, that we continue in a sin, it's the Bible says it's like a hot iron passing over your heart. And, and eventually what happens if a hot iron continues to pass over your heart, your heart becomes hard. You know, and David was so afraid of having a hard heart. And this is where you get really the, the, the greatest part of David. You know, I always talk about the dichotomy that is David, this guy who was guilty of such egregious sins in his life, and yet God has some of the greatest compliments in the entire Bible about this guy David, a man after my own heart. I think I shared this a couple of weeks ago. But what, what just is crazy to me in the whole, the whole story of David is David's dead and gone. His son Solomon is reigning as king. His son Solomon is struggling, and God, God comes to Solomon, and he says, Solomon, if you had um, followed me with your whole heart as your father did. And I'm like, okay. So God didn't even see any of this sin. He just saw this thing. But David, in the Psalms, and as he cries out. Now, David was the most, one of the most articulate writers. Um, we don't give him enough credit. You know, the Apostle Paul is the same way. But their ability to articulate and David's ability to take what was spiritual and what was going on in his heart and articulate it into words was absolutely a gift of the Holy Spirit. But because this stuff would just come like out of his heart, you know, and again, this is why he was a man after God's own heart. David said things like, oh, as the deer pants for water, oh, doth my soul pant after you, Lord. Like that's not something he read in a Shakespeare book. And I mean, that, that was just the, the just blowing up with a spontaneity, a spontaneity of worship coming out of his heart. But David was so afraid that in his sin that his heart would become hard because he knows that's the result of continual sin is your heart becomes hard. And David would pray, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And to, that too for me, I think it's, it's motivated me over the years is that I do not want my heart to become hard. And you don't want your heart to become hard and sin will harden your heart. And unrepentant sin will harm your heart. And then, you know, the, the, the progression of sin is that, again, it's difficult in, in the beginning. You know, um, stealing is a, is a very good counterpart, right? You know, there's a reason why it's, it's dangerous, you know, when a kid steals a 50-cent candy bar. It's not innocent. I mean, it is to some degree, right? But at the same time, what can happen is you're, you're super scared. Any of you guys remember back the first candy bar you ever stole? And I know you guys never stole a candy bar or anything like that, but... Use me as an example. The first time I ever stole a candy bar, I was like so scared. And you know, and, and then, you know, the 10th time I stole the candy bar, I was like, you know, proud of the fact. And it got easier and easier. And, and you know, and then it could progress. And you, and you progress in those things. And it, it doesn't feel the same way that it did the first time you did it. And sin is the same way. And eventually what happens is because of God's grace and because of the way God deals with us, you know, when you, when you walk out of the store with the candy bar in your pocket, and you look up in the sky, lightning doesn't strike. Like, oh, God didn't strike me down. And then you think, oh, after a while, oh, maybe, maybe God doesn't mind so much. And then it gets to the point, and I've had these conversations, where people tell me God approves of it. I had a guy tell me one time, 
that, that um, if Jesus lived today, he would have smoked cigarettes. Yeah, I'm not making a bone against cigarettes, whatever. That's not the point. The point is that he, he, he had smoked and he wanted to justify it. And he got to the point in his heart where he could actually say the words out of his mouth that Jesus would have smoked. But that's what happens is that we, we can start to lie to ourselves and say that God approves of our sin. And, and so we must deal with it as a church, as a people, um, undealt with. Um, ultimately, sin is the, is the cause for eternal damnation. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so, you know, in our communion services, you know, I, that's kind of the, the, and you guys have heard it a million times, that's the, the, the heart that I'm always trying to preach is that, you know, you get these opportunities to come back and, and to clear the air, you know. Um, the Bible says um, in, in the Proverbs that we are, that, that, that rebellion is built up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction drives it far from him. And so, you know, the Bible encourages uh, a spanking, appropriate spanking. And, and the psychology behind a, a spanking is that once the, the child um, receives a proper spanking, done right, in love, then the guilt is released. You know, and if the child sits and they're, they're feeling this guilt and they're around the table and, you know, it's like it, it weighs heavy and it's, and it's causing a friction in the relationship and it's making him nervous. And, you know, but once you deal with it, you go on, it's over, and then, you, you know, it, it, it releases us of that. Um, feeling that that we have that conviction that we face, you know, one of the things they say is, you know, sometimes why why criminals and, and mass murderers get caught because they want to, you know, because eventually they just they want to give in. And so there's so in in repenting of our sins, it's the same um, concept is that we we get right with God, we deal with it, we we ask forgiveness, we deal with whatever the consequences, and then now it's cleared the air, and it's important in your walk that we constantly clear the air. I heard a pastor say that, it was a, a Jewish rabbi actually, and he said that, that, that um, confessing our sins should be like a conduit between you and God. That's constantly, you know, um, as opposed to, you know, you, you get on your knees next to your bed at night before you get in bed and you, you know, run down your sins for the day. That if you, if you had a moment, you're driving in the car and, you know, the guy next to you cuts you off and, and then he tells you you're number one out the window, you know, and maybe you say some kind words back to him. And, you know, as you cruise down, you're like, oh, Lord, sorry, forgive me, God. That's, you know, and, and confess as you deal with those things. Confess your sins. Admit to God what you did is sinful. And you confess and ask him to forgive you and move on. But um, definitely has to be dealt with, right? Now, Jesus said, um, I got, I wanted to keep in order, guys. Give me two seconds. Sorry. So, so again, um, the concept of dealing with sin um, in the Bible and, and, the, and what Jesus taught us was that sin has to be crucified. That, that we don't deal with, we don't compartmentalize, we don't um, sin less. The, the, and the idea is violence, but, it, but it's to crucify. You guys can turn there with, with me if you want. But let's look at Galatians chapter 5 in dealing with sin. And so again, the biblical concept is to crucify the flesh. You don't sin less. You don't compartmentalize it. You don't, you know, deal with it or work on it gradually. It's it's a violent terms in the Bible. You crucify it. You kill it. You you end it. So I'm going to read the whole kind of section in context because it's 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 dealing with this topic of sin and, and not just sin, but how we deal with sin in our lives. Now the first thing Paul says in this in this section, 16 to 26. Is he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Hey guys, say this with me. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. I'm sorry, the lust of the flesh. One more time. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When I, um, when I got saved, I became a Christian. And it was a pretty, I don't know, big group of, of, of kids I ran around with high school and partied with and did life with for a lot of years. And a couple times um, after I became a Christian, years later... I would get a call from one of my um, friends I grew up with who knew that I was not doing drugs anymore and that I was clean and, and they were going through something and they had been trying to stop doing drugs and they wanted to stop and they would say, Chris, how'd you do it, man? What'd you do? And I can remember just being young and, and dumb and, and, I, and I didn't know what to tell them, I, I, but I, I just tell them, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, which was totally true, it was Jesus. But at the same time, if you're on the other end of that phone call and, and you're hearing Jesus, like, how do you apply that to your life? How do you... How do 
you know, so then God gives me, gave me this verse later that it's Jesus, but this, this is the answer right here, you know, um, and, and again, for me, my personal testimony, everybody's different, I think, you know, things can be affected, and there's different um, avenues and, and ways that God has used to deliver people, but with me, I didn't go to any program, I didn't go to AA, I didn't go to any rehab, I didn't do anything like that, I, I, I started going to church, I started walking with the Lord, I started praying, I started reading my Bible, I got to know Jesus, I asked Jesus in my life, my relationship with Jesus was real, I felt the Holy Spirit, I felt his, I felt God's presence in my life, I was reading the Word, He was speaking to me, I loved doing those things, and eventually, um, as I was growing closer to Jesus, I, it wasn't even like, um, oh man, I really, really want to do those things that I used to do, but I know I can't because I'm a Christian. You know, those are sinful things and I have to stop them. I didn't want to do them anymore. I just naturally, it just who, wasn't who I was anymore. God was changing my heart. God was working in my life. And then this verse here says exactly that. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. You know, one of the, one of the difficult things about trying to deal with sin in some of these secular avenues or, or ways, even um, to a degree, and I want to be careful because they do some good work too, but with these 12-step programs and, and these higher power type stuff, the problem is that, you know, e- even within the 12-step programs, you, you're taught that you're, you're always an alcoholic. Now, you haven't had a drink in 25 years, and, hi, my name is Chris, I'm an alcoholic. Eh, I haven't had a drink in 25 years. What makes me an alcoholic? But the idea is that, you, you know, and, and I get the concept, but listen, if, if you approach it that way in, in, in the rehab and those things, then this is what you do. You get up in the morning, and you say, man, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. At noon, you know, you, you tell yourself, I'm not going to drink today. And you write little post-it notes to remind you, and so you run into them. And then you go to pay for your lunch, and you open your wallet, and there's that note that you placed in there. And don't drink today. Don't drink. I'm not going to drink today. I'm going to get through today. And, and then, you know, all day, you know, it's, it's I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And then at night, what did you think about all day? Drinking. About your sin. But instead, what the Bible says is, you know, Jesus said, if, whom I've set free is free indeed. And, and so instead what you do is you get up in the morning and say, Jesus, I want to walk with you today. Jesus, I want to serve you today. Jesus, I want to do something for your, for your kingdom today. I want to witness today. Lord, give me an opportunity. Let, let me run into somebody that I can talk to and tell them about you today. And, and, and Lord, I want to praise you today. I want to worship you today. And you have your worship music on. You have your Bible open. And, you're, and then by the end of the day, then at 9 o'clock at night, what have you done all day? You spend time with Jesus, and you haven't even thought about drinking. So you're not going to drink because you haven't thought about it. It hasn't been your mind. It's much more difficult when it's like constantly, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, all day long. And God's Word says to, to walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. And, and so whatever you're struggling with, the solution is not more, um, you know, thought on it and process and denial and, and, and application. The, the, the recipe is more Jesus more the Spirit of God in your life. And then naturally what happens as you, as you grow in this, you know, daily and, and devotions. You know, sometimes the, the, the idea of Christians doing devotions. Now, I'm a big advocate of you guys doing devotions, of us doing devotions. We need to be doing devotions. But also there's, there's always a, a, a danger in all, in all things too, right? So the danger is that, you know, we compartmentalize our devotions into something we do first thing in the morning. Devotions could be done all day and every day. And be, live life in devotion all day as you spend time with the Lord, as you talk to God, as you pray, as you, you know, read your Bible, you, you do things in the day. And then having some compartmentalized time set apart is good for just practical discipline. But being in devotion all day, walking in the Spirit. And then, again, as you do that, what happens is your heart just changes. You know, I, I, I just don't want those things anymore. I didn't want those things for myself anymore. One thing that I did a little differently was, and I don't know where this came from, but, you know, I like the first day I became a Christian, I, I, I knew that all the, the and I had, a, I had a big music collection, and um, but I knew I had to get rid of all that stuff, so that stuff got crucified, you know, all the, um, and I didn't sell my bongs, I destroyed them, and, you know, I got rid of all my stuff, and, and that stuff, of course, that stuff all went, like, like now, gone, but, um, but yeah, it was just a natural process of just growing in Jesus, and I was, I was in Hemet for a lot of those days, and that process where I was really starting to grow in the Lord, I was living with Jason and Hammett, and, um, you know, it was just him and I. I didn't have all the friend group and people that, you know, I had in L.A., so I had a lot more time, and I spent time in the Word, and, and I read, and before you know it, you know, six months had passed, and I'm like, I haven't got high like in six months. And I didn't think about it. I wasn't counting the days. Hi, my name is Chris. 
I'm an, I'm an alcoholic. It's been 21 days, 7 hours, and 42 minutes. I, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even know it. You know, it just hit me one day that, hey, it's been a while. All right, I want, I want to go through this. 5.16. 17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. Someone help me out. Discussing? Discussions? Discussions? Heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, parenthetically, um, this, is, this is repeated to some degree of this verse seven times in your New Testament. This is one of the seven. That if you practice such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then another place Paul says, but some were some of you. And, and, and it's in our past. So, again, the, you know, people get confused because they think, oh, if, if I'm guilty of one of these things on a daily basis, then I won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's not the context it's in. The context this is in is unrepentant sin. If you live in any of these lifestyles apart from Christ and unrepentant sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you have these sins in your past, even in your future, and it was a, it was a sin and you repented and you're not walking in that sin or practicing, because it says he who practices such sins, which means something that is habitual or continual in your life. And those are the things you have to cut off and you have to deny. Verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, in contrast, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, I've heard this taught this way, and I actually I really like this. I think it is, it is biblical in that verse 22. 522 um, is, is a key verse in your Bible, too. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, period, is the way we can understand that. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it manifests itself in joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, again, parenthetically, um, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So whenever you see any kind of church service or people and, 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 they, and anything they're doing claims to be out of control, like Holy Spirit laughter or, you know, I, I, even some who, um, you know, speak in tongues that just came on me. No, it doesn't just come on you. The very fruit, of, that's not of the Spirit, because the very fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so the things that should be done decently and in order, and, and again, all that stuff where they're barking and laughing and rolling around on the floor and laughing uncontrollably, that's not of the Holy Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Verse 24, and listen, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Everybody say crucified. So what do you do with your flesh? Isn't that violent? Violent death that Jesus died on the cross die to self daily. He adds that word daily, by the way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And so we crucify the flesh. We don't reform it. We don't fix it. We don't sin less. We, we, we mutilate it. We crucify it. If, the, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so again, there's the um, solution for... Um, dealing with, with sin, the practical ways to deal with sin. Now, I want to um, kind of end the sin section in the Psalms. So turn with me, if you will, to Psalms 51. Now, um, we talked about, you know, and, and I'm going to kind of cross over here because I'm talking about uh, what I want to get into in the sin topic is both repentance and, again, more tools to, to, to not sin, more tools to deal with your sin, more tools if you're struggling with a besetting sin, if something is reoccurring in your life. And, and let me just show you from experience. From experience, um, Satan is going to lie to you when you have a sin that you have struggled with for a season and it continues because you've come to the Lord in sincerity and you've said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And, and, and you felt a real emotion that you didn't um, manufacture. You meant it when you said it and you said, God, forgive me and, and wash me. And, and help me not to do this sin anymore, God. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to walk in this anymore. Lord, forgive me. Lord, take this from me. God, I don't want this in my life anymore. God, I, forgive me. And then the next day you're doing the same thing. And then you come back and you're like, Lord, help, forgive me. And then, you know, if like me, you've been around the same mountain so many times that now you come to the Lord 
And Satan shows up and he's like, you hypocrite. God don't want to forgive you for that. You've asked, how many times are you going to ask for this forgiveness of the same thing? How many times are you going to continue in this sin? You're, you're a loser. You failed. Those are lies of Satan. That's condemnation, right? Listen, I'm going to tell you, keep, the Bible says, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. Count counts. How many times? What, 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 when, when you need to be scared is when you don't want to ask anymore because your heart is hard. And that's what happens. So what happens is once you continue in it so long, that hot iron has passed over so many times that you can get to the point where God approves of it or you don't want to ask for forgiveness anymore. And again, that's where David was guarding his heart. Lord, Lord, don't let my heart become hard, God. Lord, forgive me. But I want to encourage you. Keep coming. Keep asking. God loves you. He's gracious. No matter how many times in the past you struggled with it, continue to bring it to him. Continue to ask forgiveness. Continue to lay it at his feet. And when Satan shows up and tells you, stop doing that, God's not interested, just tell him, get behind me, Satan. Um, so Psalm chapter 51. Now, if you're taking notes, this is um, your guide to repentance. Again, you can come right to this chapter. If, you're, if you've got something that's heavy on your heart and you want to bring it before the Lord in repentance, um, you can come right here. You can pray the, you know, you can pray the Psalms. Lots of places in the scriptures, you can pray right through them. Um, so verse 1 of Psalm 51, this is King David, a psalm of David with Nathan the prophet when he went to him after he had gone and went Bathsheba. Now, you guys know the story without me recounting it, but David had sinned with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband. And, and the prophet Nathan comes to David and he says, David, there was a man in your kingdom who um, was very, very wealthy and had hundreds of sheep and lambs and, um, and he had a dinner party. And his neighbor had one little ewe lamb. And he loved that little ewe lamb so much it slept in his bed with him at night. And he said, but the rich man, when his dinner party came, he didn't go kill one of his um, many, many sheep. He went and he stole the neighbor's little ewe lamb and he offered and he served it for dinner. And David was so angry at this rich man for what he did. And, and the penalty for stealing a sheep was not death. But because David's own sins were reflected, he said, he said, surely that man shall die. And then we get my favorite, one of my favorite lines in the Bible, right? What did Nathan say? You the man now, dog. He said, David, you are the man. And then, and then, and then David repents. His heart breaks. And, and, and he can't hide it anymore. He can't deal with it anymore. No doubt God had already spoken to David. The Holy Spirit had already been tugging on his heart. He already knew that he was, he was the gig was up. And he breaks out in this psalm, in, in Psalm 51. He says, have mercy on me, God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Again, you guys can pray this. Just read these words as you pray them out to God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thir thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And call it what it is. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Again, the world's tendency and Satan's attack on on sin today is just to call it something different. You know, we just label everything that's sinful and we just give it some, some pretty name and, and, and instead of calling it sin. In verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, that, that concept again is important that David had sinned against um, other people as well. He killed Uriah and he doesn't say, Lord, I've sinned against Uriah. And, you know, but he understands that his, his beef is with God, that it's between him and God and, and Lord against you and only you have I sinned and that he, he ultimately the buck stops with him and reconciling with his Lord and with our Lord. And so he says, Lord, against you have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived. Behold, desire desire. me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my transgressions. And here we go. Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit then i will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed O god 
the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are what, folks? A broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You know what You know what we do? You know, we think, we, we, it's funny when it happens, but it's, it's happened over the years. I've been in the, in the ministry since 98, and from time to time, you know, somebody shows up, and they got a check, or they got a deal, or something, and they're, they're, they're trying to, for themselves, you know, ease their conscience, and so they want to make a sacrifice, and give some money, or do this, or go, you know, and God says he doesn't want those things. You know, if if David said, Lord, if you wanted those things, if you wanted me to, um, you know, even this practice, right? I guess in the practice and it's in the movie sometimes and it's true. I think in the Philippines is they have an annual ceremony in the Philippines every year where people crucify themselves. They don't die in the process, but they, they put these nails through their hands and they or they take that thing and they whip themselves. And the monks would do things like this where they would, you know, this is not a biblical practice. God doesn't want that. He doesn't care about that. He wants you to do that to your heart. And David said, Lord, if you wanted sacrifice, if you wanted me to pay and do things to, to get right with, with because of my sins, I would do that. But God, you don't desire those things. What God desires is a broken and a contrite spirit. What God desires is a, a heart of David in you that says, Lord, I, I'm sincerely sorry and I'm broken by it. And I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to live that life anymore, God. You know, and, and I'll tell you what, in my life there's, you know, there's been some real breakthrough moments of, of 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 confession and a forgiveness and a broken and a contrite heart. And then, you know, there's other seasons where it's like, you know, because you can't manufacture it. You can't fake it. And again, it, 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 your heart can become hardened with that iron. And it becomes more and more difficult to be sincere of heart where your heart really is broken. And you're really before the Lord sobbing. And you're really before the Lord wanting to be right with him. And, and that's a dangerous place, and you, you want to stay as far away from that place as you can by continually getting right with the Lord, confessing your sins before the Lord, asking God to forgive you. We do it as corporately uh, once a month on Sundays. Um, um, and, and then, But it should be, again, that conduit in your life that's continually going up and up and up and up. A, a couple more um, that I think are pretty good. Let's look at Psalm 139, um, verses 23 and 24. In Psalm 139, um, again, King David is, is writing, and um, this, is, this would be a great communion prayer as you receive communion, and we take that opportunity to get our hearts and lives right with the Lord as we receive communion. And David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked ways in me, and lead me in everlasting. You know, I, I often remind us of that and, and talk about that where you ask God, because maybe even maybe there's something that, you're unaware of or, or you don't realize and, and, and it's not always in the negative it's not always god needs to bring to your attention or a reminder of of the candy bar that you stole maybe it's something where it's something that you're not doing there's a ministry there's a there's a call of god there's something that god has put on your heart there's a family member that you need to call and make it right with there's something you need to do and 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 maybe it's in the positive where hey i want you to go do this or i want i want this thing from you but um, part of as we confess, you know, we know the things that are on top of our mind, our heart. We know what, we, what we've done, what we want to confess. But then even David takes it a, a level deeper here, right? And, and he says, search me and see if there's any wickedness in me. And if there is, show me. Amen? Amen. David's good, huh? This is good. Um, about Psalm, a couple more in the Psalms, and then and then we're gonna get done with some. Try to do one more tonight. Uh, Psalm 32. Let's try that one. Psalm 32. Got some random notes here. Psalm 32, verses one through five. You guys write that one down. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. So good. One more time. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, check my heart. Um, Psalm 32. Verses 1 through 5 says, Blessed is he whose transgression, whose transgression is forgiven. Th this particular psalm is, now again, this is an encouragement to you of what we're talking about, that there's, there's, 
there's advantage to your life to get things right, to confess. And here's a psalm that encourages you in, in the result of what will happen, you know, to have that broken and contrite heart. Like, you know, maybe some people feel like, well, isn't that defeat if my heart is broken and contrite? Um, you know, and I've gotten to that point that that's a failure. Um, but it's not a failure. And you want to be at that point. You want to be broken and contrite over your sins. And then, and then David reminds us that blessed, oh, oh, how happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones, this is David again, just, you know, classic David. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You know, that it's a good place to be. You know, you're in a sin and God's hand is heavy upon you about it. What's, what's a scary place to be? Yeah, well, if you're in sin and you, you feel nothing about it, like that hot iron going over your heart, and that, no, we don't want that. And so again, the blessing of, right, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Don't despise the, the conviction and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And David here is, is, is recounting and calling the, the, the victory and the blessing that comes, even as he's talking about God's heavy hand is upon me, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Amen? Psalm 119, 9 and 10. This one goes with uh, um, the Ephesian scripture. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. This one's kind of in that vein. Psalm 119, um, 9 through 11 actually. Um, to stop sin, this is the key. little quick... Uh, uh, note about some Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in your Bible. Um, it's the longest chapter in your Bible. Let me see if I can find the back end. It's like six pages away. No, I'm kidding. It's two. 176 verses. 173 of those verses deal with the Word of God. Mention the Word of God. So you want an assignment one day? Read Psalm 119 and try to identify the three verses that don't mention the Word of God. See if you can find them. Um, Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart, and again, how much of your heart does it require in, in service to the Lord? Okay. Is that consistent through all the Bible? That idea? That it's with your whole heart? Okay, and here we have it again. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Now, verse 11. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Okay? So how do we how do we prevent and keep from sinning? What does King David say? Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. How may, a, how may a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. With my whole heart. And again, I love it that it's, there's this qualifier in here. Because it, it, just, it just knocks people out of the box when they're like, Oh, I tried that and it didn't work. Oh, I did that. I prayed that and nothing happened. Well, either you're a liar or God's a liar. And, and you might have prayed that and you might have tried that, but you gave it a half effort and God's not going to honor that. But when you search him with your whole heart, then then you then the Lord will um, touch you. He'll heal you. He'll move in your life. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's go on to the next gate around the city. So we now come to the fountain gate. Anybody want to take a wild stab at where I'm going with the fountain gate? Jesus said, "Come to me," and torrents of living water will flow from your heart. So the fountain gate, we'll talk about the practical fountain gate there in Jerusalem first as we get into this. Um, let's, let's read the verses. It's found in verse number 15. It says, Shalun, the, the son of Kolhoza, 
leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts, bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Shelah by the king's garden as far as the stars that go down from the, from the city of David. And so the fountain gate... Um, Hey, Brad, there's one more slide, the one with the, with the yeah, there we go. So um, this kind of goes with the next two gates, but um, the fountain gate, you just, I'll just tell you, it's the Holy Spirit. Fountain gate is, is the gate that's going to represent the Holy Spirit. So in 700 B.C., um, King Hezekiah, now the, the success to any city is the water source, right? And most cities are built around a water source. You know, I mean, today we, 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 we pretty much build cities anywhere, and we have a way, we find a way with modern technology to bring waters. But for, for lots of years, thousands of years, you, you had to be located somewhere near water in order to survive, in order to build a city. And, and the survival of the city depended upon the water. And you can think of the major cities of, of antiquities, and they're all um, built near the water, you know. And so um, you, you can survive a long time, longer time without food, but you can only survive a short time without water. And, and you can't survive, you survive a very shorter time without the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so um, the, the Jerusalem, though, was not built near any water. There was two water sources in Jerusalem, one up by the, um, up near the Sheep Gate from John chapter 5 is the Pool of Bethesda. We have a story there where Jesus heals at the Pool of Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda will be located up near the northern part of the city, up by the Sheep Gate. And then down here in the, um, um, by the Fountain Gate, and the, between the Fountain Gate and the Water Gate, not Nixon's Water Gate, but the Water Gate um, is, is the Gihon Springs. Now, Hezekiah was a king of Israel, and he wanted to bring water into the city. So he, he built this tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel. When we go to Jerusalem, it's abandoned now, um, and, and we walk through it. And it's about six feet high um, in most places. Some places not quite. You've got to kind of hunch down the whole time. Um, it's about this wide. you got to fit through it. Not much room on either side. And six feet high, and there's water in it. Sometimes water up to your knees. So that day in the tour to Israel, we, we everybody plans for that. And you bring your water shoes or your shorts and you roll them up. And everybody who wants to um, walk through. Brian, did you walk through, Brian? Did you walk through Hezekiah's Tunnel? Yeah. I think you probably have. A, so we go um, and, and you walk through and it comes out at the Pool of Shalom. It's, I forget now, it's 750 um, feet long. But what's fascinating about it is there, that's where it comes out, the Pool of Shalom. That's the exit where they brought the water into the city, which would have been on the inside of the wall. Now, it, um, the old city of David is built on bedrock, so it's solid bedrock. And, and Hezekiah had one um, construction team start on one side and another construction team start on the other side, and the tunnel zigzags like this, and they meet perfectly in the middle. God did it. I don't know how they did it, but digging through <laughs> solid bedrock um, six feet by two and a half, three feet wide um, tunnel to bring water from the Gihon Springs into um, the city. So I think the, um, you know, the, the parallel is that Jesus brings the Holy Spirit to you and I, you know, and that, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, there we go, the water gate, what are we looking at? Okay, the pool of Shalom there on the bottom left where, those, where it would have landed. Yeah. So, um, Jesus in John chapter 16, this, this is kind of a cool thing. John 16, 7 and 8, um, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he told the disciples that I'm leaving. And if I go, I'm going to send you a helper, a Holy Spirit. And these words are... Um, you know, these are red flag words in your Bible. When you hear these, you pay attention. But it says, he said in John 16, 7, Jesus is speaking. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Everybody say, your advantage. In the area of giving and tithing, the Bible says, for you, it is to your advantage. Well, Jesus here says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. 
But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. If anybody ever asks you what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, this is your answer. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so, um, so again, Jesus brought the Holy Spirit. He gave the Holy Spirit. He said, when I leave, I will send a helper. Now, how many of us have maybe had the thought that walking with Jesus would have been easy if he, we, we were there and, and when he was here in the flesh and we could have seen him. And as John said, we beheld him and we beheld the, his, we touched him, we, we interacted with him. You think, man, if I could have just been there and, and been a part of that. But the, the, the Greek language here in this verse says that it's better that we today have a better occasion and situation because we have the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of us, is with us 24-7, 365. That, that having the power and, the, and, and the, the working of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, the Bible says that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that concept is, you know, it's hard to grasp because, of course, it just feels like, man, if Jesus was here, it would just be so easy. But Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Meaning that it's going to be better the function that we have now of the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, if Jesus were here, how many in the flesh, and that was the access we had, how many of us, could share him not many but you each get your own holy spirit that's probably not good like grammar but um we each have access we have the spirit of god that lives inside of you and so it's to your advantage and so jesus brings and like hezekiah brought the water into the city jesus brings the holy spirit into our life and um again the most important thing to survival of the uh, a city is water the most important thing to survival of a Christian is the power, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said um, to go that they were to go to Jerusalem, and that when the um, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power to be my witnesses. And so that power of the Holy Spirit is what empowers you. And 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 Paul talks about us being full of the Holy Spirit. You know, and and, and the Greek says be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So so it's a continual repeated, constant prayer and act of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't, you know, once you receive Jesus in your life, you, you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in you. But the, the filling and then a fresh move and work of the Holy Spirit is something that we ask for and we do on a daily basis, on the regular. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. You probably hear me when I pray. I'm constantly saying that those words. It's just kind of like habit now and second nature. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need it. We need your Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have us? And so be being filled with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis that, that God would come and do his work. Jesus said in John chapter 7, if you go back a couple pages, in John seven thirty eight. Um, great chapter, man. Great thing that was going on there. Jesus said in verse 37, on that last day of the great the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Anybody in here thirst? Yeah, my kids are thirsty. Different kind of thirst. But if anyone thirsts, he said, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, he who believes in Jesus, like any way you want, just make up some version of Jesus. Like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. My Jesus was, you know, Chinese and he was cousins to Mother Mary and whatever. I mean, make anything up you want. No, 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 no. Sorry, brothers and sisters. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That, that Greek word there, rivers, means torrents. Torrents of living water will come out of your life as the Holy Spirit is inside you. But this he spoke concerning verse 39. Who did he, who was he talking about? What does it say in verse 39, y'all? Are you looking at your Bibles? How do you guys know I'm not lying at you, lying to you if you don't look at your Bible? Verse 39 says that in the very context of verse 38, but he spoke these things concerning the Spirit. So it's a promise of God giving you and filling you with the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about um, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to really teach you know, I've done it here a couple times, but it's kind of the same idea. There's three, in a nutshell, there's three experiences we find in our Bibles that the, that the apostles have and that, that Paul teaches and that we have opportunity to have with the Holy Spirit. Three Greek words that, that explain it. It's pada, 
P-A-R-A, para, para means alongside. Before you were a Christian, the Holy Spirit came alongside of you. He began to draw you. He began to convict you of your sin. He began to point you to Jesus. And the next, the next of the three Greek words is E-N or N, para, N. And E-N is just a funny way to spell in for the Greeks. And then, and then you said, Jesus, come into my life. I give you my life. And then the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And then, and then the third thing that we see in the Bible um, is the epi, E-P-I, para and epi. Alongside, in, and epi means overflowing. It's the overflowing power of the Holy Spirit that, you know, the Holy Spirit, in your, if your life is like a, a bucket, if the bucket's here on the ground and we take a garden hose and we put it in the bucket, um, you know, and, and, and the bucket begins to be full, because the Bible talks about the overflowing of the Holy Spirit, eventually the bucket is going to do what? It's going to overflow and affect its environment around it. That's, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It makes you a witness. So when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you naturally are a witness. You naturally will affect the people around you for Christ. It, you can't put a, we couldn't put a bucket here in the sanctuary and fill it full of a garden, a garden hose and not have it wet the rest of the carpet around here and ruin some things, right? And so it'll, it'll affect its environment. So that's the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I mean, y'all want the Holy Spirit up on her. After service, I'm going to have you guys come up and I'm going to tap you on your foreheads. And I'm going to shake, just shake when I do it. And I'll tell you, receive the Holy Spirit up in here. And then like speak in tongues or something. Um, on a real note, I was kidding, but on a real note, uh, again, Pray, and, 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 you know, Jesus does answer the question, in case you're wondering, if I haven't covered this. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What does Jesus say? He says, you ask. He says, you have not because you ask not. And then, and then, and then concerning the, the Holy Spirit, you ask. And so ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So just, you know, you, and, 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 and he says, that's in the context in that verse where he says, if a, if a son asks a father for a piece of bread... Will an earthly father give him a rock and say, here, kid, gnaw on this? And how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? And then just like here in this verse, 37 and 38, where he's talking about, and then the very next verse in 39, he he makes it very clear that he was talking concerning the Holy Spirit, where he says um, in that same thing that if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his son, your heavenly father knows how to give good gifts to those who ask, and then it says concerning the, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. All right. I don't think we'll start the next one because I'll get into it and then we'll uh, we'll run out of time. But we're going to come to the Watergate next week. And this one, you know, all these you guys could spend weeks on, but I think we're just trying to just touch on them, scratch on them real quick. But next week, the Watergate, verse 7, is the Word of God. I'll give you a heads up. Washing in the water of the Word. Um, what's kind of interesting in the Bible, it was a little confusing for me um, in this study because there's references in, in the Word to um, water being both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You know, Jesus says, out of, your li- out of your life will flow torrents of living water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, to wash your wives in the water of the Word, whether it's the water of the Word. And we, we get references to both Holy Spirit and Word and water. One pastor said that when you, when you bathe in it, it's um, the Word of God. And when you drink it, it's the Holy Spirit. I think there's some consistency in those two analogies when you see them in the Bible, but I don't think it's 100% consistent. So there is a little bit of crossover there where you see water being used as both the Holy Spirit, and they go together, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Um, They are the Jesus being the Word, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen?